we are people solving problems for people using software. It's 150% a people business. I've always known that it's a people business. What's really taken our business forward in the last uh, three to five years is, is that, we've, that we've had like a big realization in terms of people. Thanks for clicking play on the number one podcast show for business owners in South Africa. My name is Manus Bredrek and this is season number three of Making SMEs Matter. This season, we'll be chatting to some of South Africa's top entrepreneurs, guys and girls who have built some of South Africa's biggest brands and companies. And if you're building a company of your own, or you have dreams of becoming a successful entrepreneur one day, then this podcast show is going to inspire you and bring you valuable lessons that you can use in your own business. I want to give a special thank you to Investec Business Cash Solutions, the team that has helped us bring you this podcast. Make sure you join our mailing list at sme.africa forward slash podcast. Welcome back to this episode and thank you so much for listening to the show. It's doing really well and I want to give a shout out to you, to all the entrepreneurs, all the hustlers out there who's not backing down despite all the challenges that we are facing. You're still listening to podcasts, you're going out, you're hustling hard. And yeah, I think that's what it takes to build a successful business. So kudos to you. I think there's so much BS in this world of entrepreneurship. So many authors who write books, who's pretending to be great business people, but they've never started a successful business. Speakers who are standing on stages sharing how to build a successful business, but they've never done it themselves. So I hope that's why you're enjoying the podcast. Real entrepreneurs building some of South Africa's greatest brands, sharing their stories. So thank you for that. Really, really appreciate the support. And yeah, well done on the hustle. In this episode, I had a chat to Ashley. He's from Synergy ERP. And Ashley is one of our clients at the Bean Counter. And we were supposed to have coffee. And I said to him, no, you've got such a great story. Let's record a podcast. It's a great company that they've built. Sold it recently to a listed company. And Ashley has got some fascinating ideas. Hope you enjoy this. Hi, it's Sean Jackson from Investec Business Cash Solutions, proud sponsor of Making SMEs Matter. Our aim is to partner with you in order to understand your business's unique cash flows to grow and maximize the return on your cash. I hope you enjoy this episode filled with valuable insights from our featured entrepreneur. I'm sitting with a tech entrepreneur. He built a company called Synergy ERP. His name is Ashley Reganis. Ashley, great having you with us. Um, our show is about small businesses and we were going to have a coffee today and I said, let's just pause, let's get the podcast um, equipment in because I think you've got a fascinating story and I want to chat about it and I want to hear your story and I think uh, our small business owners can get so much value from it. So that's why I thought let's record it. So welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Synergy ERP, what's it all about? So if you, if you read the brochure right? We implement ERPs. What is an ERP? Some people say, you know, what does that even mean? Ultimately, it's a business system that runs most of the business, if not the entire business. Um, that's, so that's what it says on the brochure. Yes. If, you, if you ask us when we're sitting together um, what we do, we, we change lives through technology. And what does that really mean? Um, the, the ERP for us is a platform. It's a, it's, it's a software that runs the entire business, but mm. we use that platform to drive efficiency, to drive automation, to 
um, take the business process to the next level. So that's really what we do. The ERP is like the tool. The, you know, if I look at my toolbox, there's a hammer, and yes. the hammer happens to be ERP. But actually what we do is we, we refine business processes and drive efficiency. What's your own journey? How did you discover this tool? Oh, my word. <laughs> so my IT journey starts uh, a very long time ago. Are you Joburg-based? Yes. Were you born and bred? Yeah, born and bred Joburg. Um, our business is Joburg, Cape Town, UK and UAE, but the, the founding business is Joburg. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Joburg, born and bred, and um, I've been in IT almost my entire life. So I wrote my first program in primary school. I built my first PC and sold it in Standard 9. So I've been in IT forever were you the nerd at school big time yes. big time i was the, like <laughs> i love i always love the nerds so so like my bedroom at home there was a computer in the bedroom before there were even really personal computers i bought a personal computer online and this was still in the days where your monitor was a tv you know you stole a tv from from the lounge and that was the monitor for the personal computer um, and I started writing programs this, this back then. This must have been about 2013. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. This is like black and white. Uh, the data was saved on a cassette recorder magnetic tape. Really? Right? So this is a long time ago. I didn't know that. TV screens used to be computer screens. Well, so, so, so what, this is like, the, like really, really, really the early days of personal computing. Okay. Very early. So when, it, when are we talking about? 19? Uh, 90, let's try to work it out. If I matriculated in 88, um, so like 1981, I would guess. Okay. Okay. I'd need a piece of paper and a pen yeah. to be sure, right? That's so, the very start of the PC. Yeah, this, yeah. so this is, at, the, at that stage, personal computing, I would describe as, um, it was a hobbyist type of um, situation. So, so today where people are buying like um, a little Raspberry Pi and then they're messing around and they're automating the garage door. Back then, personal computing was in that realm. So it was, it, you, you were really had to be highly nerdy and inclined to it even to come across it. You couldn't walk in a store and buy this equipment. Um, there wasn't a concept of a monitor for a, a, a personal or home user of a computer. So you bought this device, and it was very clever um, uh, in terms of the technology. The, the monitor was a TV, you plugged into a TV. The data was stored on an audio cassette on, and using an audio cassette recorder. Um, from a memory point of view, like if, you, if, if I tell my son this, he, yeah. you can see his brain just yeah. stops working. But it, the machine came with 1K of memory. And, it, and, if, and if you upgraded it, about the size of your little audio box controller, maybe half that size, that upgrade, which doubled the cost of the personal computer, was 16K of RAM. Sure. But everything, in, now, now this is one thing, if you, when you get to know me, you'll, you'll hear often, hopefully it doesn't bother you, but everything in life's a positive and a negative. So what was the positive? You learn immense discipline in terms of writing programs when you have a very basic environment, where you have little, very little resources, not, not a lot of memory. Today, people that are writing code don't really even have to consider memory. We went as far as, in those early days, as these sort of enthusiast programmers, <coughs> counting lines of code. Okay, because if, you, if your total memory it is 16K, so much, yeah. and you're trying to write, so what did, I, what did I write back then? I wrote computer games. You're a kid, right? You're in primary school, and you've got this device that allows you to, to program. What do you do? You write computer games. 
you're literally counting lines of code to make sure that you'll actually be able to achieve what you want. It was good fun. When did it turn into a business? So um, it, uh, it turned into a business, um, you know, there, there was, so there was some business in high school that was really, I suppose, at, at the end of high school, it's when personal computing really was possible. There, there, were, there, were, there were other, there's a long evolution of, of IT, um, but, you know, there, there, there came a point where personal computing was available, but it was still very expensive. I'm talking like the Apple IIe days. Um, it was, so it was available, but still very expensive. So um, some businesses were adopting it. And maybe if you were very lucky, there was a couple of computers in a school. I was lucky. Someone bought a whole computer room for our school, and I was in boarding school in primary school. And they didn't know what to do with this stuff. I'd already learned to code. And they kind of said to the boarding house, well, if you board at night and you've done all your homework, you've got two choices. Sit quietly in the dining hall and read a book, or you can go to the computer room. And off I went, and I was the only one there. There was no teacher. There were no textbooks. There were 24 Apple IIe's in a room, and maybe like a couple of manuals with ring binder. So that was my next level of programming. Um, but late in high school was when personal computing really was possible. Like a university student could buy a PC or a home user could buy a PC and run some games and a word processor and uh, um, you know a number crunching tool back then it was Lotus one two three Excel was like yes. not not in the position it's in today and that's when I first made my money from IT I um, I did two things I built PCs and sold them somewhere on my hands there's scars um, at at my peak I could build a PC one PC every forty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and and I also wrote macros. I wrote macros for Lotus One Two Three. So that was my first um, revenue, That's I suppose. How yeah. Okay. But but then so ERP. Um, I mean that's also you know that there, there's an evolution there. But the first sort of work I did in that field was taking companies that were running their their business. Um, I suppose doing what Bean Counter does today for a lot of their customers, they were doing it all on paper, right? If you wanted to invoice your customer, someone put a letterhead into a typewriter and typed the invoice, and then, then you wrote that up in the debtor's ledger. And, you know, yeah, crazy to think crazy about stuff. That. Yeah. So, so taking um, those type of businesses um, onto a computer-based platform but now we're talking like the early 90s, so it was all DOS-based. So fast forward uh, 2018, 2019, Synergy ERP is a great company. You've got great clients employing many people. Um, you just sold to Alviva Holdings, which is a Jay-Z listed company. Uh, what's Synergy ERP doing right now? So we're, we're doing what we set out to do before we sold a big portion of our business to Alviva. Um, and that is really to, to grow our business globally. We've, we've had great success in South Africa. South Africa is still um, the foundation of the business. We, you know, we're still um, very focused on South Africa and growing the business in South Africa, succeeding in South Africa. But we have, we, we've built a lot of intellectual property. Um, and, and in terms of what we do and where we work, which is in this ERP space, we see, we see benefit 
in doing the same thing for customers in other parts of the world. So, Can I stop yeah? you there? What are you actually doing for customers right now? So let's say I, 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 there's a company in South Africa. Why would they employ Synergy ERP? Because you're implementing an ERP solution for them. So you're taking them and you're helping them to build systems on, yes. uh, electronically. So, so I suppose to answer that, I have to talk about our typical customer profile. Let's do So typically our customer is a medium to large corporate, but they, there is more to it than that. They will typically be multi-company, multi so many companies in a group. Um, they will probably be regionally um, dispersed or diverse, so they'll be multi-country as we call them, so they'll have operations in multiple countries. Um, and or potentially they have uh, quite a complex business, right? So those are those are our three qualifying criteria. At least one of those three should be should be true about the business. So they're either multi-company group, multi-country group, um, or complexity in the business. And what we do, I, with, I think, mm -hmm. every small business owner will now say. My business is super complex, so I <laughs> yeah. definitely, I've, I've fallen there. Sure, sure. So everyone, I mean, everyone is uh, very complex, and, and even more than that, everyone is unique. Mm, okay. Mm, mm. Yes. But you talking <laughs> yes about yes with a big smile on my face, right? <laughs> but you talking about it's not your standard debtors, creditors, sure. cash book. Right? Sure. So yeah. we that's definitely not our client. It's not. It's exactly like you say. It's not like us. We can we can we supply a standard finance solution? Debtors, creditors, cash book, GL. We can, but but. Um, if, if one of, if one of um, my salespeople came to me, and we don't call them salespeople, we call them business development managers, but if one of them came to me and said, Ashley, I want you to come and see this client with me, and one of those three criteria didn't exist, I'd say, why are we talking to this client? Um, because our solution would be overkill for a client that didn't have at least one of those boxes ticked, right? In, the, in that world, in this multi-company um, multi-country, complex business situation, primarily what we are doing with the software, and remember I said the software is just the, my hammer in my toolbox, it's just a tool for me. What we're doing is we are um, removing a lot of um, inefficiency, for example. So in a multi-country, multi-company environment, what you typically find is that there's um, a lot of manual work, there's a lot of repetition, there's a lot of reconciling transactions between countries and companies and so on. And we completely automate those processes. Um, in, a, in a very complex business, what you'll typically find is that to manage the, the entire business, finance and operations, um, you'll find many systems. Um, typically those systems run in isolation, we call those silos. And, and that, that then um, puts the same sort of constraint on the business as that multi-company, multi-country situation did. There's a lot of um, duplication of work. There's a lot of reconciling between systems. It's very inefficient. Um, when these businesses are big and complicated in this manner, um, you, you, know, you also find that they are using very intelligent people to do very rudimentary transaction work. Sure. Um, and, and so that's a big passion of ours, is that we want, we want the clever people working on the right things, not on, on the rudimentary work. You know? So you, you, you hire a CA and you make him one of your financial accountants, and, and now you're making him post journals between companies. Sure. It's mad. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about your, your own journey in building the company. Looking back, 
Um, are you happy with where you are today? <laughs> so, um, I suppose uh, being an introverted tech nerd, um, I don't know if this is naturally how we are, because you kind of see this on the other side of the spectrum in the extro extroverts, but I'm incredibly competitive. Um, and and uh, like where I see that most is uh, like how I judge and measure myself. So, you know, am I happy with what we've achieved? Um, potentially how we've grown and built the business, uh, particularly over the last five years. Um, you know, uh, I even have, you know, there's a sense of recognition in terms of, in terms of Alviva buying um, this big share, uh, you know, of our business. Um, so, so yes, you know, there's some small quiet moments where I could say I'm pleased with what we've done, but on the whole, um, I, I, I'm always pushing for more. Yes. You know, I'll, like with my with the head of sales, so our, what our sales director, but you know, we hate we hate boring old terms. So okay. we've got we've got our own language for yes. almost everything. But with with my head of sales. Um, you know, I'll say to her, I'm taking a trip to Singapore, and she says, I'm so happy for you, is it a holiday? And I'm like, no, I'm thinking about Asia. Um, I, I don't have any plans to have a business on Mars because there are no people there yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, no. Um, ultimately, but, like short answer, yes. um, no, I judge myself, I should have achieved more. But don't you think that's how entrepreneurs always feel? You feel like, there should have been more always. But yes, yes, yes. It's, it's, a, it's a never ending journey. Yeah, so maybe, so. But, but maybe you're not some stopping people are, here. No, de no, definitely not yeah. stopping. So this, so this Alviva purchase is oh. not, um, it's not an end, it's not a stop. In fact, it's, um, I, I suppose I've been build, building a rocket for, you know, for this last period of my life. And what I'm really aiming for is that Alviva is the rocket fuel. Mm, yeah. mm, and it's going to take off. Yeah. Uh, building the business over so many years, what would you say was the most challenging uh, part of it? Um, learning and growing um, as a leader, I'd say, is, is the most challenging part. Because that always changes, right? Like sure. When you're starting out a business... Absolutely. You need certain things, and then as the business grows, different Absolutely. things. Yeah. So in different, yeah. So what I suppose what you're saying, and I agree with that. In different life cycles of the business, um, you know, there are there are different things needed from leadership. Um, absolutely, that's one challenge. But I but I also suppose that as a person, you you need to learn and grow. Even even beyond that boundary, right? Um, and and it's quite hard. Well, for me, for for me, right? Yeah. And, and and when I make the statement, it's sort of it's like a double down. But it, it's quite hard, or I've found it challenging as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, sometimes I'll say to my staff, and, and and I hope no one gets insulted by the biblical reference. I'm not meant to, not meant to touch any raw nerves, but Anything like you, you ask yourself, you know, you, sometimes you wonder. You know, am I John the Baptist or Jesus? And, and, and in my like, uh, Sunday school knowledge, I mean, John the Baptist spent a lot of time alone, right? 
uh, Jesus had, had followers. You, sometimes you wonder if you're kind of like wandering in the desert with, with an unshaven face and long hair and, you know, are, 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 you, stri- are you onto something or are you a little bit mad? Yeah. Um, and Which side so, are you falling yeah, in so, right now? So you, you have that question. Um, I, I suppose the thing that makes me, the thing that gives me strength in, the, in, in that is the team. Right, but 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 back to that point is you know you need to you need to kind of learn and grow, um, you need to be prepared to fail, you need to be and, and this is harder than being prepared to fail because as an entrepreneur I suppose people that are are successful as entrepreneurs I would imagine inherently are you know they strive for success but they're they're um, you know they're prepared to fail and pick themselves up and learn and carry on, but I think what's a bigger challenge is you have to realize that. You need to create an environment where it's possible for the whole business to do that. It's not just about this one person striking out alone, and it's fine, you know, for you as a leader to to try and fail and pick yourself up and you know try again. You need to create you need to create that um, environment mm. within the organisation. And talking of of that, I think um, in in your business it's a very uh, you're relying on great people eh? mm. and great consultants, and that must be challenging. So, what are your tips out there? How do you get these great people? So, so now what you've basically done is you just like pulled my soapbox out from under the table, and you've given me one of my like soapboxes to stand on. Um, people, it's a hundred percent a people business. So, as much as there's this software, and and we're in an IT business, I mean, when we hire CAs, we, 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 we badger them in the interview to say, don't be mistaken, this is an IT mm. role that you're applying mm. for, you're coming into an IT business. Um, but the reality is, we are people solving problems for people using software. So it's, it's 150% a people business. Um, so this is something I've always known that it's a people business and people have always been important, but, but what's really taken our business forward in the last um, uh, three to five years is, is that, we've, we, that we've had like a big realization in terms of people. And I'll describe it as this. Um, someone's propensity to succeed is based on what I call their attitude and their attributes. 70 to 80% of someone's um, you know, possibility of succeeding is, is their attitude and their attributes. Okay, break that down for me. <laughs> okay, so, so attitude doesn't need a lot of translation. Yes. You know, have, they got, um, have they got the right attitude for the job? Yes. And you need different attitudes for different jobs, right? Attributes, um, there, it, there's a lot more data when it comes to attributes. We use a very thorough psychometric testing process to to measure this, um, but but the attributes are you know how, how does someone approach learning, how does someone approach self management, how does someone how does someone motivate themselves, um, you know, and, and there's a whole span of of attributes that are important. So you would say personality and attitude, those yeah, uh, because attributes are kind of sure. linked so, to personality. Yeah, in like, and I'm no. I'm no um, expert, right? I'm a layman in this area. We, we have an expert that we use, and that's another one of my soapboxes that we'll come to now now, and, and really why we, you and I have a relationship. Um, the, the, yeah, call it, call it like attitude and personality. 
the really, really exciting thing when you start to understand this is that, um, is that you realize that someone's skills and training are, are a very small percentage of, of what makes them succeed. In fact, um, I suppose if you were, if you were kind of um, like a football club, then, then their, their skills and their training are, are the card that gets them into the club. It doesn't mean they should be on the team that goes on the field for the big match. Mm. What gets them on the field for the big match are, are their attitude and their personality. Um, and you need different personalities for, for different games, right? So, so we use this in our business. Um, everyone goes through a very, very thorough um, psychometric test. And, and, and we use it in many ways. And sometimes there's an indication that a certain um, individual won't, won't function well in the business or within a, a team in the business. Um, and that's not a negative thing. That, we're not, you're not judging that person. Um, it's actually almost the opposite. I suppose it's the business is not right for that person. And when you put when you put the wrong personality, you know I'm going to use your terminology for a little while. But if you put the wrong attitude and the wrong personality into into the, you know into into the wrong business or wrong team, um, your 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 potential downside ranges from a sort of limited downside of it's not going to work and they're going to leave, but they're going to pick themselves up and carry on, and that's not great. But it's not too bad. But your but your maximum downside is that that person actually could be broken, and I don't want that. Or could break your company. Or could break your company. Um, there's a possibility, but 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 more so that what I've seen is that the person actually leaves and com- and, and and completely um, sort of you know they're demotivated. They're questioning themselves, and it's actually not a question about them. Uh, the, the, the team wasn't the right fit yeah. for them. So, so we, we, we use that tool to make sure that the type of people we're hiring, that what we're going to offer them is right for them. Because we don't offer a job, we offer a platform. Mm. Um, very, our employees are very entrepreneurial in nature. So I suppose we're kind of like um, the Sunday farmer's market where everyone can bring their stuff and open their stall, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, the, how, they, how the money comes into their bank account is through a salary, but, but they're very entrepreneurial in nature. They don't want to be micromanaged. They want to make sure that, they, that what really motivates our staff sort of top of the list, they want to be making an impact. They want to feel that they actually created value every day. So we also started using um, psychometric tests uh, wow. about a year ago, and I can't tell you the difference that it's been making. And I, and I think every small business should do it. The Definitely. cost of that is nothing, nothing. compared to the cost that Absolutely. you're going to suffer later on. Um, so, so that's through the hiring process. What if someone slips through the cracks and they're in the business and now they've got a really bad personality? They blame you. They say, your environment, your company, it's, the structure is not working for me. They're affecting everyone else. How Do you manage them? Do you mentor them? Or do you get rid of them? So, okay, good question. Um, or do you change your company for them? Well, it, yeah, so it depends, right? Um, and, and, and you like bundled a bunch of questions in one, so I'll like try and unbundle them a little bit. So, so, typic, so, so first of all, typically the company is a bad fit for them, not that they're a bad fit for the company, right? Um, 
you should be open to to take your. I want to I want to say that because I think even in my own in my own businesses, I think it's something we really struggle with. We we don't see it like that. We always try and make everyone else happy. We try and make employees happy, but I think that's often so 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 much more bigger reality that the company isn't a fit for them. Yes, absolutely, and particularly, uh, I mean, like today, sort of. Um, you know, where, where culture is so important, right? If you think of that, um, uh, that, that money is, is not like a, uh, it's not a top motivator. For, for our staff, and, and our staff are like what I would call A players, right? Um, you know, top of their class, um, top of their team, you know, type of individuals. Money is important. Uh, that really, they, they don't want to think about money, okay? But it's not a key motivator. Um, it's this, they want to have an impact. They want to know that they're actually making a difference. And so if you're going to create an environment where that's um, part of the business, this is not something that you, that you, you know, put up on the wall or, you know, right somewhere. This is, it has to be like embedded in your culture that, that you, that, you know, whatever that happens to be, you know, you really want to make a difference or you want to make an impact or you want to add value. I, you know, I, I can't say what that is for everyone. Um, so, that means that culture is more important than it's ever been in the business because that naturally becomes part of your culture. And I think what happens with these mismatches is that you've got a really strong culture in that type of business and so that the mismatch is magnified, right? And and so you you wanna find people that have the same, um, have the same values, have the same, uh, way of managing and measuring themselves and and pushing themselves, um, and and if if you don't, that's where you feel this mismatch. Um, to answer your other question, what do you do? Well, it depends on the extent of the mismatch. If the mismatch is um, attributable to to one area of that person, you can you can definitely counsel them. And I'm not using counsel in the sort of HR term, right? But you you can actually you can you can intervene, and it is something that you can that you can deal with in a in a mentoring or a or a counselling environment. One of the other things I want to ask you is you referred to uh, medium to large size corporates that you that you're dealing with. Um, it's not easy landing these guys as clients. Can you share one or two tips that you're using on how you're approaching it and how you're getting these clients? Where are they coming from? So, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it's back to the people question. Back to people are the answer, right? So, so we, um, we, we struggle from a marketing point of view. We do a lot of marketing, um, but we do the marketing um, almost to, to educate the market rather than to try to find business. Because in those type of situations, you know, you talk, so who, who, is our, who is our decision maker? We deal with the C-suite. Typically the CFO, sometimes the CEO, I'm sorry, yeah, sometimes the CEO, um, sometimes, sometimes the CIO, mainly the CFO. This is not an individual that is going to respond to digital marketing, for example. Um, the, the digital marketing might be it might be useful to them in terms of the fact that they'll use that to to gather knowledge and information, 
but um, we we are still traditional in that sense. We we have these focused salespeople that we call business development managers, and they are um, they are networking and they are making contact with prospective clients, and and then you know we meet with those clients and we spend a lot of time to get to know their business and understand their business, start to give them. Um, you know, proof of what we can achieve, and that is the only way we achieve a sale. You know, we're not selling um, printer cartridges. Uh, you know, at ten percent less than the rest of the market, and so we need to get out. Um, you know, get forty thousand clicks mm, mm, a month or whatever mm, it is. Mm. We it's. It's people to people. Super targeted. Yeah. Uh, we had Mike Stopworth on the show a while ago, and he was talking about uh, how people are getting digital um, advertising so wrong. And he said, like, if you, let's say, for example, in your type of business, then uh, one connection on LinkedIn is more valuable than 40,000 followers on Instagram. Absolutely. And people don't always get that. There's this thing that you need to be everywhere. Uh, everywhere all the time and and he said like you absolutely don't you need to understand who your clients are and absolutely. then you need to chase that absolutely and, and in our business times 10 um like our salespeople know which companies they want as their clients they know the people in the company that they need to talk to to see if that's a reality that that's how that's how serious it is what, when you're dealing with these new clients, what's the biggest determining factor whether they're coming with you or not? Is it money? Is it um, past experiences or, or, or skills or past jobs? What do you think is the one thing that will flip a sale for these guys? Um, that's a really good question. We should ask. We should ask some of the salespeople. Um, because I would assume that uh, these big companies, trust is massive for them. They're going to allow you into their business and you're going to take over all their systems. So probably cost is less important yes. than... So, so cost is a factor, mainly from the perspective that uh, these big organizations work in a budget process, sure. right? Um, so, so that's really you know, the, the sort of cost factor. But, but primarily um, what drives their decision is... Our, our track record, and then, um, and that's probably, I'd say, their second priority. Their first priority is, is the fact that we actually understand their business, um, and that in terms of understanding their business, we, we can show them you know, how and where we're gonna have an impact. So that's why almost um, our first engagement with a customer is, is what we call a coffee meeting, so, there are no microphones, but we, we want to talk and get to know each other. And, and from there, we are just spending more and more time to understand um, them and their business. That's, that's everything to us. And then we continuously feed back that understanding in terms of how we see these systems working for them. Okay. Um, before I get to Ashley, the entrepreneur, um, just doing the sale um, was it something that you always wanted to do? How did you, how did you get that? How was the process? <laughs> so, no. In fact, I'm waiting for one or two of the leadership team to call me on this because early 2018, we had a strat meeting and they said, would you ever consider selling? And I said, no. Um, this, this specific transaction theoretically started 
um, a good while ago, more than 12 months ago, where, where we were prospected. So the, 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 this business came to us and said, um, we want a business like yours. We're going to buy a business like yours. Um, you're top of our list. But if you say no, we have a list. Okay. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm really, uh, I'm simplifying it. Uh, I think, I think the, um, before we even got to, to actual negotiation, uh, I think the, you know, let's just have coffee and talk was about six months. Um, and and there was, they were, did quite a good sales job. You know, they didn't let go, didn't let go at all. Um, Many times I got a message to say, you know, are you close to my office and won't you pop in for coffee? <laughs> um, so, but, but in terms of where we, are now, where we were at that stage and where we are now in our business, um, the more we spoke, the more apparent it became to me that what we want to achieve over the next five years, we can achieve a lot more than, than what we could have. I mean, we had grand plans and we still have grand plans, but that really this relationship would be a, um, an, an enabler for, for our grand plans. To speed up. Yeah, to speed it up. So many people want to sell a business, and then, but they don't really have a business that they can sell. Uh, looking at your own business, why is a listed company interested in it? Clients, IP, what, um, what are the two, three things that other Intellectual property, which is broad. In our business, that is software. There's software that we own that um, fits in this world of creating efficiencies. Mm -hmm. um, business processes, so how we run our business, how we run these projects at the clients. That's another form of our intellectual property. People, so the people that form um, the business are important, and clients as well. Mm. Yeah. So I think it was that combination. Sure. And... Ashley, personally, how many hours a day do you work? Uh, that's a difficult I, I've one. I've been asking this question to everyone, <laughs> and I, I'm really enjoying it. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm maybe asking it because I'm putting in so many hours now. So I'm trying to speak to other people and make myself feel better. <laughs> so uh, I've got lots of answers to that. I'll tell one sort of funny anecdotal story in relation to that. So um, uh, I spoke to our head of HR about a month ago or so, and I said to her, we've got a problem. We've got some employees that have too much leave. So um, there are a couple of things that have come out of this, um, this, this purchase of our business, and, they, and there's certain policies and procedures that they have put in place that weren't really a priority for us. And one of them is you can't accumulate beyond a certain amount of leave. So I spoke to the head of HR, and I said to her, this is, this is the situation and we need to start working on it. So you need to look at everyone that's got more than a year's worth of a leave accumulated, um, not a year of days, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a year's worth of accrual, um, and you need to work with them on a plan for them to take leave. And I had a big laugh yesterday because yesterday I got a very official letter from HR to say, You've got to. Please note. <laughs> You have 65 days of leave available, and this is no longer acceptable in terms of our, prior, uh, in terms of our policy. You know, we need a plan as yeah. to how you're going to take this leave. Yeah. 
So I suppose that kind of answers it. Uh, I can remember Christmas 2018 very well. After every, we were down at the coast and after everyone had a nice lunch, um, my wife went to you know, read a book and my son went to play on his um, Xbox and I was quite relieved because I could work and no one was going <laughs> to shout at me. <laughs> My wife, wakes up, uh, my wife wakes up a bit later than I do, and when we're on holiday, that really helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, we were um, overseas a couple of weeks ago, and I was waking up at four, and she was waking up at eight, and that meant I had four hours every day when no one was <laughs> shouting because I was working. Yeah. But are you enjoying it? Absolutely. Enjoying it. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the difference. So I'm going to put you under pressure. How many hours are on an average day? <sighs> that's hard to say. So... Um, many days start at uh, four o'clock. Um, there is a challenge having a business in multiple time zones and multiple regions. So, so and and we've got partnerships in other regions. Um, so there's not just the sort of length of the workday, but now what I'm finding is the length of the work week. I've discovered a new thing. It's more diabolical than jet lag. I call it calendar lag. Yeah. Because in our UAE business, the work week is Sunday to Thursday. Yeah. Um, so, so now uh, I always work long hours. You know, who knows what that averages out at? I start early in the morning and, and, and I'll you know, work in, in, into the night. But... Um, a lot of that time before was at least time where I was working and everyone else wasn't. That mm. sounds strange, mm. but then there's no noise, sure. right? The challenge now is I've got staff in different countries, in different time zones, uh, you know, in different calendars. Um, and so the work week and the work day where I'm interacting with staff is actually longer. Um, and, and you also have to be sensitive um, you know, you can't you can't bomb off a whole lot of emails to someone in the UAE on Friday. That's that's not very polite. So um, if you ever ask an entrepreneur how long he's working, and the actual answer is that he's working all the time, then you would get that answer that Ashley just gave <laughs> us. <laughs> There's one very important point on this because everyone will tell you you can't have work-life balance. Um, you can still. It's it's a question of how you measure it. Mm. Okay, so um, if you have children, you don't need to spend um, a lot of time every day with your children, but but you should you should give you know that that child or those children dedicated time um, in in a manner that is like meaningful when you do. and reliable when mm. you do. Mm. So that could be something simple, depending on the age of your kids. If you've got a young daughter, sit down and play tea one hour on Saturday. But when you're playing tea, you better be you invested, right? Yeah. You've got an older kid. Um, take them shopping. Take them for a meal, but no devices. You know, spend one hour talking. Drive them to school, but turn off the radio and talk. So there, there, there are other ways to find... Like, everyone thinks work-life balance is like measuring the hours mm. that are spent on different activities. I don't agree. And if they're a little bit older, I'm sure you're going to take them to work, to work with you. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, in closing off, uh, if you look back at your own journey, going back to the, to the nerdy boy who was building computers, um, what's the one lesson that you learned as a business owner that you wish you knew 30 years ago, um, in, in building this business that would have made you more successful or that would be your tip to other business owners? 
So, so yeah, if I had this, if I had this time machine and the and the me today, um, and I'll be I'll be 50 in a few years. I won't say how many, but in a few years I'll be 50. Um, went back and uh, and visited. I don't know which age I'd visit. Maybe I'd visit about 21 year old me. Um, the lesson I'd carry back is is the importance of people, hearing people, um, understanding people. Uh, I would have. That's the lesson I would teach. It's taken me a long time to learn that lesson, um, and and um, you know what? Where where I would be today, and where the business would be to, today, would be dramatically different. And I know that for a fact because I've seen how the business has accelerated since we, so myself and the and the other leaders, have have really managed to grasp this lesson. And what do you mean with that? Like, give me so, one practical thing. So, that so I suppose. I suppose um, I, there's something I try to teach my staff. One of my one of one of my key employees sort of was teaching in a, in a meeting this morning was teaching it back to everyone else. But and and people don't get this, and sometimes they misinterpret it because I'm an introverted person. But sometimes the most powerful person in the room is the quietest person in the room. If you if you if you take more time to listen, um, and and like you know really listen. That's very powerful. That's very powerful. Um, especially in the busy world of a business. Absolutely. Owner, right? You just and, want to get on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's everywhere, you know. Like um, something that upsets me a lot in the business is if, is if I hear that someone feels that I'm not approachable. Um, I had an employee last week. We had breakfast at 7 o'clock. Like, if you want to meet with me and you want me to focus, breakfast is the best. Um, and he asked for breakfast, and we had breakfast at 7 o'clock. We had a really good conversation. He brought a lot of um, fresh insight uh, around certain areas of the business. And uh, when, when we walked out of breakfast and I thanked him for his time, I said to him, I want you to do one thing for me. I want you to make sure that everyone understands that what you did this morning is possible. And and I always thought it was, but but then um, about a year ago, someone resigned, and and they said we always do it. We always do a very thorough exit um, process, and they said one of the reasons was they felt that they couldn't talk to me. Um, no one has all the answers. Um, no one is better than anyone else. Uh, everyone can contribute. You know, you need to, you need to be able to you need to be able to hear them. Mm, mm. Mm. Ashley, thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, congratulations with the business that you've built and the people that you've taken along on the journey. And good luck with Alviva and building it in different countries. And yeah, only wishing you the best. Thank you very much. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and that it's valuable in your own journey. Do connect with us and remember to join our mailing list at sme.africa forward slash podcast. And if you haven't subscribed to this show yet, do it now. And if you haven't rated it yet, what? You haven't rated it? Also do it now. My name is Marnus. See you again next week. Thanks for listening. If you're a business owner with cash sitting in a call, notice, fixed deposit or money market account, SMS the word cash to 47677 or visit investec.com forward slash SME Africa. Someone from our team will call you back and discuss how we can help you grow and maximize the return on your cash.